This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Hi, everybody. I'm Dan Loney, host of Knowledge at Wharton on Sirius XM 111. We're here today talking about the new book coming out, Sport Matters, with its author and Wharton professor, Ken Shropshire. Ken, great to have you. Thanks, Dan. Good to be here. This is an interesting topic uh, to bring up because there certainly have been uh, a rash of incidents involving all of the sports industry uh, where we have seen a quote-unquote loss of respect. And that's something that you talk a lot about in this book. Well, it's incredible. I mean, even this, this week, just now, Little League has, has encountered further problems with this whole issue of, of integrity, respect, um, all, all the important issues that we think about outside of sport and we really think sport should project most positively. So, so this has been a pretty dramatic year. What has it been that has really changed within the fabric of sports, both at the professional level, at the college level, and even, as you mentioned, at the Little League level, that has really seen this, this grand change in how people uh, respect the games uh, or do not respect the games? Well, you know, what, what's curious, I mean, the short answer might be, might be money and yeah. kind, of, kind of the more that's available if you, if you are successful, so the kind of striving for success. But I think, you know, more deeply, probably what, what has brought this to our attention is how easy it is to get information now. I mean, it, it's more the, if you think the incidents, the, the Donald Sterling, then you think the, the owner of the Atlanta Hawks, uh, you, you think about Ray Rice. I mean, all this has been exposed in a way that we never saw before. So historically, you know, Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig may have been up to a lot of things, <laughs> but we, di- we didn't know about it. So, so it's, it's really that that has revealed some of this uh, huge respect or lack of respect issue that, that occurs in so many levels in sport. One of the cases that you discuss in the book involves the Miami Dolphins and their hazing case, uh, which is interesting because I, I know you spent time with the Dolphins in, in terms of talking with them about what happened and maybe how they can affect change within their organization. Well, I'm, I'm still working with, with Steve Ross, and, and not so much about the organization, but, but I think what he's done is really tried to capture that moment, and in, the, in a lot of ways in the same way that I think about the book, you know, how can you uh, positively take the things that happen in sport and improve society? How can you deliver the messages? And, and his focus really at, at the youngest age to kids and say, hey, if you're going to participate in sport, here's some other lessons you need to learn as well and you need to carry forward into life. So, you know, the, the drama, the thing to think about, one of the things is, as I've worked with him, we've, we've struggled with is it's, it's not too difficult to think about how to work with kids and get them to understand all these important lessons about, uh, you know, diversity, inclusion, respect, equality, kind of those, those, those big themes. But how do you do it with, with adults? How do you do it in, in the, the locker room with professional athletes, with, with people who in many ways have been uh, pampered throughout their life and haven't had to deal with these real-life issues who – uh, in many ways, or have been in this this you know, sanctuary might be the right word in these locker rooms that are uh, private spaces for so long. But but again, just like in the other incidents we mentioned, uh, have been exposed in a way that that people have never seen before. So we know what goes on there in a way that we didn't know. The interesting part is that you have the contrast between what Mr. Ross is trying to do down in Miami, and of course what we saw with the Los Angeles Clippers with Donald Sterling, which. Uh, I think it it shook a lot of people to their core. Uh, the fact that 
I don't know if anybody believes that we are a true, a true society where uh, racism is not part of, of everything we think, but it is still a scary prospect that a man that owned a professional sports franchise that had obviously a great deal of power, a great deal of wealth, uh, had these views about people that, in some respects, people that were working for him. Well, and, and look, we, we don't know, again, if, he, if he's alone in his, his thoughts or yeah. – uh, how many other people have, have said such negative things in, in the privacy, uh, in the space that he was in with, with his uh, uh, alleged girlfriend then? And, and again, she records in a way that historically we weren't able to do. So what it, what it really did was, was shed light on this issue for, for those who may have thought we are in some kind of post-racial era and you know, Obama's in the White House and, and things are, are rosy all around, that here's somebody in a business that's people predominantly by African-Americans, and he expresses such negative views of them and, and, and really displays this, this whole—in the book I talk about this kind of continuum of this idea of, of, of tolerance versus respect. Um, and and then the, the, the full place we'd like to all get to is acceptance. Yep. And, and he merely uh, apparently tolerated— these African Americans and didn't want uh, maybe one of the most prominent sports figures in the world, Magic Johnson, to to attend his games because of his race. Um, so, so that really shed a light on on where we are. But but I, I think that that you know not not so important that that this this one man did what he did, but just the, the fact that this still exists and exists in the most powerful position in sport at the ownership level. It's interesting because uh, when you look at ownership of professional sports teams these days, uh, you have some owners that are doing some unbelievable work for their communities, uh, for uh, their organizations. But you do have owners that – I don't know if it's, it's a case where the bottom line still ends up being the most powerful thing. But you have a case like the Washington Redskins where uh, that name has obviously drawn a lot of attention – uh, from the uh, American Indian community. Uh, they are not happy with it for the most part. Yet Daniel Snyder, the owner of the Redskins, is sticking to his guns in some respects and saying he will not change the name of that, squ- that, name of that team. And look, you know, successful men become successful because they have the, the type of, of stamina and drive that, that, that uh, Dan Snyder has, and he's displaying on this issue. But, but what this, this illustrates further, I mean, again, if we're talking about owners and the different kinds of issues that are there, um, is the need for not just diversity in these big settings, but also inclusion. That, that it, It's never clear to me who it is that he's getting this advice from uh, that, that drives him to stick so... Uh, adamantly uh, behind his decision to to stick with the name uh, that that is one of the most racist names characterizing uh, a group of people in existence and and you know the, the fact that you can you can find some people that say and you find some Native Americans that say it's okay that you can poll fans and and, and majority of fans say that it's okay well well there is a you know, substantial group of people that say it, it is. Uh, a porn. It is yeah. uh, one of the most racist names that exist. And, and, you know, and if you kind of take the, the casual step, like in, in Webster's Dictionary, that's the kind of definition you'll, you'll get of that phrasing. So, so it's not that difficult. I mean, in, in sport, we've seen name change take place 
quite a bit. I mean, we've seen teams take this move and, and do it positively. And we just saw it this, this, this past season uh, with the, the Charlotte Bobcats, the, back to the Charlotte Hornets. And it was a tremendous marketing opportunity. They increased their sales. So there are ways to do this positively. It, it really is, again, if we think the character of, of many of the people that, that own these teams, and if you think that there, there are certainly the, the positives, uh, but, but here's a, a negative moment that, that also allowed this guy to be very successful in what he does. Character obviously played a, a big part in the aftermath of the Ray Rice case, uh, which uh, was a case where there was very shocking video of uh, Rice and his fiance at the time uh, in an incident in a casino in Atlantic City. Uh, but I think as horrified as a lot of people were of the incident itself, they were also uh, disillusioned in some respects by how it was handled by the quote-unquote leaders that were involved in that case, whether it be Roger Goodell uh, leading the case for the NFL, whether that be Steve Bashotti for the Baltimore Ravens, uh, they did take the act to action to uh, release Ray Rice from his contract. But still, there were some some people that were very disillusioned by what happened through that whole situation. Yeah, one of the great things about that terrible incident is is it is mean, a very vivid visual of. Uh, again, the need for greater inclusion in these decision-making processes. I mean, to have somebody in the room that understands about domestic violence, to have somebody in the room, you know, unlike myself, who when I saw the, the second video uh, when uh, Ray Rice struck his then-fiancé uh, as, as a man would hit a, hit a man, I, I'd never seen that in, in, in real life. I mean, I'd seen the, the, the kind of, you know, comical version, but never, you know, fortunately, I'd never seen it in real life. So, so when that occurs, you know, if you don't have the inclusive atmosphere in your leadership setting, uh, do you really know how to react? And, and, and part of the lesson that we, we get from that is to understand that when something new, something you're not familiar with occurs, if, if you don't have a domestic violence specialist, or you don't have a Native American, or you don't have an African American in your leadership space, or wh wherever you may be, then then this is the time where you should go out and seek that additional advice and guidance before you take a step that that can later later be uh, severely criticized and, and proven to be wrong. Is it tougher at times when you have an organization in comparison to what the NFL went through? with the Ray Rice case, is it tougher sometimes when you have an organization like the NCA? Much different situation, but we're talking about an organization that has been very much under fire for a lot of topics, a lot of issues over the last several years. The situation down at the University of Miami with the investigation uh, into uh, their potential improprieties. Uh, the situation at Penn State with uh, Jerry Sandusky and how they handled that. It, it's, it does require uh, a, a different type of leadership in some respects. No, it really does. And, and you think about uh, the NFL or Major League Baseball or NBA, you've got 30 or so owners that work closely with a commissioner and their motivation is profit. I mean, it's a, so it's a, it's a lot different. There's a lot, of, a lot of issues about protecting the business. In the NFL, they're talking about protecting the shield. The NCAA, you've got a thousand plus member institutions. You've got an administrative body in Indianapolis uh, is the interest in making as much money as possible or is it in educating student athletes? And when you have these additional issues that, that come into these, um, these institutions, individual schools, and maybe they don't happen at all the schools, how do you get everybody united behind the kinds of issues that have to be dealt with? So um, 
it, it's a lot different. I mean, it's a lot different when you think about an educational institution trying to deal with issues as opposed to a, a, a professional sports organization, I mean, which, which is a, a, a small, not a small business, but a, a relatively small business to IBM or others uh, that has to make business decisions that aren't related to, you know, are we going to get this kid to graduate and to get a degree and to think about being a donor later on yeah. and those sorts of things. The interesting part about, about the NCAA is the fact that even though they are tied to educational institutions, realistically, the NCAA is a quote-unquote money-making operation when you think about uh, the, the, the contracts that they are dealing with to promote college basketball, uh, to promote college football. And, and in some respects, people, I, I think, uh, believe that that's at the detriment to the organization, that they have so much influence over money-making entities that maybe do they lose sight of what the grander picture is at times. Right. And part of what the NCAA's problem is, is, is that the, I think much of the world doesn't understand what the NCAA does and, and what it doesn't do. And part of what the world doesn't really focus on. The NCAA, uh, they, they run a great basketball tournament. That's, that's probably the biggest moneymaker for the enterprise. But in terms of, of the, the football games, the, the football championships and all those, that's outside of the NCAA's purview for the most part, except for the eligibility of the athletes. And the dollars that are coming in, the new dollars that are really coming in, that's up to the individual conferences. So that's the, the, the Pac-12, the SEC, and all those other, other entities. And, and so you know, maybe greater scrutiny about what they're doing and whether or not those dollars are being used to further the educational missions of the individual institutions. I mean, that, that's really where I think the, the focus should be. You know, we can beat up the NCAA all day, sure, yeah. but let, let's follow the money and see where it's going and the positive things that can be done. And, and for me, that's, that's well beyond thinking about paying athletes. It's about thinking about how do you help these young men and young women uh, find their way in life and the, and the, the early realization that the sports thing is not going to last forever. You've got to figure out a way to, to survive in the world that goes beyond uh, balls and bats and, and rackets. The book is Sports Matters. Ken, what would you like people to really be left with? What vision would you like them to be left with after they read this book? Well, you know, part of the, 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 the drama that I went through in thinking about this book was, was to move away from thinking about, uh, although it is in my mind, the, the dominant respect issue out there, move away from just the, the race issue, uh, which I wrote about some years ago in another book, and really just understand that, that a lot of the issues that are out there in this space and I think beyond are about respect. And, and if we can just figure out how do we treat people in a respectful manner, and sports provides, uh, provides a prism for us to think about that, then we can all be a lot better off. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.